0: This is Your Own Best Company, a podcast for people who love to work alone. Hello there, everybody. I'm Franklin Taggart, and this is Your Own Best Company, a podcast for people who love working alone. And my guest today is someone that I had the pleasure of meeting recently and I think that you're gonna really enjoy hearing from her. Um, Erica Holthausen is, um, a, first of all, first and foremost, she is a writer. Uh, but in addition to that, she's uh, she owns a communications company called Catchline Communications. And one of the things that she does is she helps um, consultants and business coaches write articles for high visibility publications like Inc., Nonprofit Quarterly, and EHS Today. Um she's a longtime freelance writer and editor and she's a recovering attorney that one uh was one that uh, I I found very interesting. Uh and she's also an amateur printmaker and bookbinder. Very interesting. Uh, are those hobbies or are those like passionate pursuits?
1: Those are Oh, what's the difference?
0: Well, I think um a passionate pursuit is something that you take even more seriously than a hobby.
1: Um It's in between the two, I'd say it's, it's, um, it is something that I love to do. It's not something that I ever care to monetize because I don't know, that can kind of,
0: that ruins things.
1: It it turns it into a job (laughs) as opposed to something that I just really enjoy doing. So yeah. So probably between the two, I guess.
0: (laughs) It's a nice creative outlet anyway, right?
1: Yeah. And it, it uses such a different part of my brain than the writing and editing work that I do. And that's part of what I, what I love about it because I can recharge and just both, both printmaking and bookbinding get you so focused that you kind of lose track of time and lose track of where you are. And you don't think about like all of the head trash that likes to swirl in my brain just gets quiet. And I just, you know, needle and thread to like bind the books or, you know, get out the carving tools and I'm, I'm carving woodblocks and it just, it, you know, it's just me and whatever the thing is. And that's all I'm thinking about. And I love that feeling.
0: What a great feeling.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: it's a, that's a sweet, it's a sweet experience of humanity. I have to say those, those kinds of moments are the ones that we live for, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Yeah. When we can, and and when you can find something that is so portable. And so I don't know. So, so like low barrier to entry, it just becomes even more fun to just do. And you can kind of, I always have to remind myself like, Hey, you could use a little recharge. (laughs) So, but it's so nice when you can just do that almost on demand.
0: Let's shift over and talk a little bit about writing, because uh, according to your bio, that's the thing that you've done the most and the longest, Um, primarily because you say that that is the way that you process uh, your internal world, is to just you know write it all out. Um, Has that been something that has been with you since a young age?
1: Yes, though I don't think, it took me a very long time to refer to myself as a writer, but I've always written. And I've always kept, you know, there are those amazing people who keep journals in like nice orderly directions. I don't do that. I am chaotic and (laughs) the writing is everywhere. And I try to keep one journal and like beginning to end and it never happens. So they're not in any kind of chronological order because I have a notebook problem. And if I find a notebook that I really like, I just get it. That's part of why I do book finding, because now I can make my own. And <laughs> yeah. so I'll have a couple entries in this one and then a couple from the same year and that one, and then a couple from, you know, a same year and some other things. So for me, it's always been less about chron- chroniclizing. It's the word that I'm looking for, but getting a chronicle of my life and yeah. more about, processing information and figuring out, usually figuring out what I think or what I believe or how I'm feeling or, okay, I'm really angry about this. How do I, how do I process out that anger and and make some sense of it? So it's something that I've done pretty much forever. And then it was probably 10 years ago. Now I started doing a daily practice of free writing. And I just, it's 10 minutes and you just like write the topic at the top of the page and set the timer and you don't you don't stop yourself, you don't correct, you just write for 10 minutes answering that prompt. And if you get stuck, you write, what I really wanna say is, and you keep going. And almost every day, something that I write becomes the prompt for the next day.
0: Very cool. So yeah, that discipline has been going on now for 10 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've fallen off a couple of times, but I get yeah. back on. <laughs>
0: so were you inspired to that from any particular source or was it just something that you came across?
1: Yeah, no, I, um, I went to a retreat several years ago. So about 10 years ago at, um, Kripalu and they had a writing retreat with Natalie Goldberg. Oh, and gosh, yeah. one of the things she had us do were these 10 minute free writing exercises. And she'd just give us a prompt and we would write. Um, and then we break into small groups of four and you would read what you wrote to other people. And the hardest part was you were not allowed to respond or react. So you could hear something that was absolutely spectacular and that would defeat her, her goal was getting rid of the monkey mind and just like, just get it out there and, and read it. So it didn't matter if it was good, bad, or spectacular like you were not allowed to respond it was just the person would read and then you'd go to the next person and I was like oh my god but I really want to tell them that this was so good
0: (laughs) it's interesting to me that so many writers do have a discipline like that or a practice where you know at least several times a week they're doing that free writing uh, to just kind of get the get the mechanism uh, starting to to work Um, yeah
1: it's sort of a warm-up exercise
0: yeah like the Julia Cameron uh, artists way. And um, have you heard of like 750 words.com? No, it's it's an online version of the same thing. It's like, first thing in the morning, you write 750 words. And it just gives you a place to do that. But it's not nice. You know, it's not words that you're probably going to keep. Like, um,
1: but, right, right. But those, that's where every writing pra- project starts is with words that you're not going to keep. That's, that's why we do the first draft.
0: Had you been a Natalie Goldberg fan for quite a while?
1: I had read several of her books. Um, yeah. So when and it happened that a friend of mine was going to a different a different workshop that same weekend. We we're like, hey, we could both go to these things. And yeah, so we ended up going together. And then we would do our separate things during the day. But I I had read um, writing down the bones. I've yeah. read a lot of her a lot of her work. There's stuff that doesn't quite resonate with me. Yeah. Especially today. But, you know, the, the practice was something. And by the end of that weekend, I I thought that my arm was just going to fall right off because it was all pen and paper writing. You know, her prompts are really helpful because they bring up things that you haven't thought of or she'll sometimes just put out these prompts that I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And you just have to write to it. And that can unearth like one of them was something like, um, your mother's face, before she was born. Yeah. And I was like, oh, how, how what? <laughs> um, and, but you you have to do your 10 minutes. And it's amazing what comes out. Usually, for me, usually the first seven minutes are complete trash. Yeah. But then suddenly something taps in and I start writing things that I hadn't thought before I wrote them. Yeah. It, it's just, it's just flowing through. And that's a that's another type of magic because suddenly. To see words show up on the page and it's your handwriting them, but you did not think them before they showed up is just this otherworldly, very very cool experience to have.
0: Yes, it is. So talk to me a little bit about how that has made you a better writer.
1: Yeah, I think so. For a long time, I really struggled with embracing a first draft. Yeah. Um, I I like you know, so I would get stuck on the first sentence because I want it to be fabulous prose that's absolutely perfect, um, which is an easy way to torture yourself. Um, <laughs> so in a, in a very real way, these 10 minute free writing exercises have helped me embrace the sh- first draft. Because sometimes what I'll do is if I'm stuck on a project that I'm writing for, you know, for a publication or for my own work, I'll, I'll do a 10 minute free writing on it first because it gets the ideas out on the page. Yeah. And, you know, you can't shuffle it around and make it all nice and pretty if you don't have any words. So it at least gets some words down on the page and then and then it, it can move me forward. So I think that's a big part of it. I think the other is just, we all write, we are all writers. Like yeah. how many emails did you send today? Um, we write all the bloody time but having an intentional writing practice has also helped really build those muscles in a way and start seeing, because you make weird connections that start coming together. Like that, that, you know, that prompt that I was talking about your mother's face before she was born, nonsense prompt in yeah. my, in my mind, um, Natalie Goldberg is a Zen Buddhist person. Yeah. So it probably makes sense to her. Um, <laughs> so, but having something like that and then having things come out that you didn't even know you were thinking, right. Helps you also with the thinking process, because that's, that's really what writing is. It's, it's, um, Bob Makoff was the, uh, cartoon editor at the New Yorker. And he, he wrote one time, it's not the think it's the ink. Or it's not the ink. It's the think. Yeah. It's not about the ink. And that's the same with writing. It's not about the ink. It's not about the words on the page. It's about the thinking. And for me, writing helps me think more clearly and think better. And the more clearly and comprehensively and cohesively and cogently, a whole lot of C words, I'm thinking about something the the easier the writing is and the better the writing is because then it means if i've thought through something really well then the writing becomes clearer and clearer
0: can so. you talk to me a little bit about how you became an attorney and why
1: uh, okay so um why it was i was in middle school and i read a man for all seasons <laughs> so it's all robert bolt's fault yeah the influence um, of literature right totally <laughs> fell in love with that book, fell in love with Sir Thomas Moore. He's yeah. a little more complicated than he appears to be in that book. Um, he burned a bunch of people at the stake, like yeah. Yeah. questionable, but at the time that was standard. So, but I fell in love with that book and fell in love with this idea of, of law being a way we could really make some changes. And I had been a Supreme court watcher for a long time. I read the brethren by, um, Bob Woodward, one of the best books about the Supreme court ever, ever written <laughs> ever period end of story. Yeah. Um, and so it was a combination of those things that it was, I had known that I kind of wanted to either go into journalism because of Bob Woodward or <laughs> go, go into law because of Thurgood Marshall um, and reading that book to sort of tip the scales. And, and that was sort of what made me decide, okay, I'm going to go to law school. And then, you know, did all of the things I went to college became a, I was a history and political science major, because that's what, you know, political science was pr- kind of what you did if you're going to law school, but history was a love. Um, and then went to law school at the University of Virginia. So. And did all of that. And then worked at a law firm in Boston and thought, hmm, some of this is amazing. As a summer associate, they they kind of like hoodwink you. It's basically like, let's have amazing meals and lots of drinks and like do fun (laughs) things because we're trying to recruit you. And then you become a real lawyer and you realize it's a whole lot of paperwork. You realize that you are probably not really going to change the world here. And in my third year at law school, I was, I did a prosecution clinic. So I worked as a prosecutor in Vienna, Virginia, and the attorney who I was working under, kindest man on the face of the planet. And he really taught me how to be a good prosecutor. And by that, I meant how to really evaluate the situation because you don't have to prosecute everybody to the fullest extent of the law. In fact, you shouldn't do that. That's a crappy prosecutor. That's not a good one. So he would really be able to look at things and figure out how to tap into resources. And and it it was such a different way of looking at that type of law. And he was a real mentor to me. So over winter break, when I came back from winter break, he took me out to lunch and told me that he had stepped down. And to me, he was like an attorney's attorney. He was an amazing attorney. And he stepped down because his father had passed away over the break. And his father's last words were an apology to him for not spending more time with him when he was growing up. So he decided to step away so that he could spend more time with his wife and children and not have the same regrets as his father. And that just, It was a gut punch, but that was the first thing that happened that kind of ultimately made me decide, okay, this, this isn't the road that I want to take.
0: Yeah. He sounds like a wonderful mentor.
1: Oh, he was an amazing mentor on every, he he was, he was just a kind, gentle, beautiful soul.
0: Leaving the the law profession behind. I mean, at some point you realized that uh, it just wasn't quite lining up for you. What were the indicators that, that, that you went with to decide that?
1: Yeah, it was. So the first indicator was, was my mentor when I was in the prosecution clinic. The second indicator was, um, I came into the law firm one morning and my secretary, she was also, she was a professional cat herder and and I was a one person herd of cats and she still managed to like rein me in. Um, (laughs) but she, she basically said, oh, you have to go to New York for a case. You're on a plane in an hour and a half. And I was like, oh, okay. She's like, nope, you're going to be there for a while. So you need to have your roommate pack a bag for you. It will follow you on a separate plane. And oh, by the way, the law firm owned a condo in New York city for cases just like this, which I was like, really? Um, (laughs) <laughs> and so I traveled there with a, a young partner, and you know we were so this was early, early 2000, mm, yeah, early two, early it was so it was literally 2000. Um, you know, so cell phones were still a little bit new. So you know, if somebody's on the cell phone next to you in the back seat of a taxi cab, you're hearing the entire conversation, and and that was part of what had happened is is the partner and I were taking a cab into the city. And he was on the phone breaking plans with his wife because they had planned, yeah, they had planned to go, you know, they had planned to go away for that weekend with their brand new daughter and he had to break the plans. He wasn't sure how long we were going to be in New York and his daughter had taken her first steps that morning oh, when he my. was already gone. <laughs> so You know i overheard that whole conversation of course you have to pretend that you didn't and he got off the phone and said do you ever feel like you're missing anything and i asked him what he meant and he he actually told me the whole conversation and you know it was just one of those things where in law school you're basically told oh you know you go through law school you work really hard then you become a partner and the living's easy that's a whole bunch of bunk. (laughs) like None of that is true. And do you really want to spend as much time doing so many hard things to get to a place like if it's not fulfilling, do you really want to spend that many years doing something that's not fulfilling so that you can be unfulfilled, but wealthy? Right. No, for me. Uh, My roommate worked at, um, Leslie university, Leslie college, and she brought home this, this pamphlet that was about the Audubon expedition Institute. So without telling anybody I applied to my absolute astonishment, I got in. Wow! (laughs) So I literally left the law firm to go study the environment on a big yellow school bus in Colorado.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's so cool. So where in Colorado were you?
1: everywhere we traveled all around it was literally a big yellow school bus yeah. um there were maybe 20 about 20 of us i think ranging in age from 18 to 50 wow um so it was an undergrad and a masters program in environmental studies environmental science environmental things and it was it was sort of my reset i gave away all of my fancy Everything. suits and like all of the stuff and had Everything I owned, I could carry on my back as part of this program. And it was my master reset, because what do you do when the thing you've always wanted to do since you were in middle school, isn't the thing you want to do. Um, So I needed to really reset and figure out what, what in the world is next. Wow. And uh, yeah.
0: (laughs) What a reset.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um. It was, it was, yes, it was a little bit dramatic, but it was also, exactly what I needed and I don't regret a second of doing that. I was, I was only there for one semester because that was all that I really needed. I, I had gotten into the program, but I didn't really, it's not like I needed another degree. Um, and nine 11 happened while we were in the, in the outback. So that was another kind of really game changing in a way. Yeah. Thing there was a bioengineers conference yeah, someplace in Colorado. And we went to that as well, which was just, you know, again, this mind blowing experience with incredibly smart people who know stuff that, that I don't know, like I, yeah. I didn't come out of this environmental background and any t- opportunity to learn from people who know stuff that I don't know anything about. I'm like, mm-hmm,
0: yes, very cool. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious now, it's like you, you've had this m- big, beautiful reset. And then what?
1: Yeah. Um, that was tough. So my great uncle passed away while I was still in Colorado. So I came and, and it was towards the end of the first semester. And I was like, okay, I needed to do this, but I kind of now need to get back to things. And I wanted to help my great aunt Kind of navigate all of that so i moved back to massachusetts yeah. stayed with her for a little bit um just to help sort of figure all of that good stuff out and then started looking for work and you know if you're in the boston area there are there are more colleges and universities than you can shake a stick at and if research because i had been in, in research before i went to law school and i i love me some research give yeah. me a rabbit hole of research like i am there um getting me out can be hard (laughs) so but research jobs go to grad students because you can pay them in noodles um (laughs) so i was trying to figure out what would be next and um ultimately ended up getting a job with a nonprofit organization a startup arts organization right outside of boston yeah and learned a ton. That's where I first learned anything about marketing. I was their director of marketing and development. I had zero experience in marketing, zero experience in fundraising, but I was a smart cookie so I could figure it out. Um, And for some reason they thought the same. So, you know, that just, that kind of ended up being a big part of doing more writing more intentionally because yeah. I was the person who wrote all of the grants I wrote the website a copy I wrote I wrote all of the things yeah. and then I ended up working for the nonprofit consultant who had been working for that organization and there too I I ended up basically being the writer on staff because cool. it was something I already loved and I'm I'm a good writer so I was yeah. able to kind of do that And that was where I ended up meeting. Yeah. Then I went to another nonprofit that had been our client and that was where I ended up meeting my first editor um, and writing for my first magazine.
0: And that that was so cool.
1: Yeah. So it was, it was a, a sort of a bunch of steps that in the time didn't look like they made any sense or were leading to anything, but in retrospect, kind of like, Oh, okay, I see what I learned from each step that has helped me
0: yeah, there was a along, my, along
1: my path, yeah.
0: Couldn't have predicted it, but as you look back on it, right. it was a step-by-step. Step. Did you participate, like in Boston? I, I know that there are just a ton of great writing communities in the, in the Northeast, but in Boston in particular, like one that comes to mind is Grub Street.
1: Yes, um, yeah. Did you participate took,
0: in any of those things?
1: Yeah, I took several classes at Grub Street. Um, cool yeah because it was they were and they were just so cool um (laughs) you know because you could really as somebody who didn't come out of i always thought well i can't be a writer because i don't have an mba or a sorry an m
0: mfa yeah
1: that's one thank you (laughs) what's the word mfa um you know, I've always been so education driven that I, I kind of thought, well, I can't do this because I didn't go to journals journalism school. I can't do this because I don't have an MBA. I can't do this. All of that's garbage. Um, you can totally do it. So yeah, totally took some of the classes at Grub Street and fell in love with being able to learn, you know, how to pitch publications, how to write for magazines, how to write personal essays, how to write novels. So that's, you know, what I do professionally is all about getting published in magazines, but I have a novel in the drawer over there and, um, personal essays are the thing that just makes my soul sing. Um, they're hard. Like that's, that's the other piece is like finding the stuff that you really most want to do And the personal essays where the writer really leaves themselves on the page. Those are the ones that always capture me the most. And, Holy crap, does that take guts?
0: Oh, doesn't it uh, though? It's, yeah. <laughs> there's no other kind of courage like that, I don't think.
1: It, it, yeah, yeah. So it's it's, you know, that's always been something fun is just learning from other writers, getting together with I have a group of writers that I we get together a couple times a year and we just we rent a big old farmhouse in upstate New York or someplace in Vermont and yeah. we cook, we write. We eat, we do a lot of eating, Um, writers and food. There's something there too. Um, But we all cook together. We write a ton and we fall into this really amazing rhythm. When you're someplace that's not your own home or not your own usual space, and you know the purpose is writing and you have other people who are doing that same thing. I am more productive in that environment than any place else. So I've I've everything I've written so far for the novel that's in progress has been at one of these writing retreats.
0: That is so cool. Now, do you have designs on publishing your novel at some point or seeing if it's if if publishers would bite?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, right now I kind of don't care. Yeah. Um which Just for which its own is sake. also yeah, which is cool. also kind of lovely. I think there's if you can fall in love with the process, more than the product, then the end product doesn't matter. It, it's sort of one of those, you know, the publishing world these days, it's, it's not like it used to be. So, you yeah. know, they want, they want writers who have a big, huge platform. I'm on one social media platform and I am not getting on any of the others, period. Yeah. And it's like, I do not care to have 10 million followers on Twitter and I am never going back to Facebook. So- <laughs> uh, And that's not really platform anyway. Right. But it's, it's something that publishers still care about is like, how many contacts do you have? How many connections do you have? Um, you know, and doing the marketing for it. So it's one of those maybe, and, and if so, i probably look at some of the smaller independent publishers first. I have a friend who did get published and she's with a a small publishing house and it's more collaborative there. And, um, you know, and and, uh, the the big kids probably wouldn't look at my novel. And I kind of don't care, (laughs) which is a really lovely place to be because then, you know, once it is actually finished, then I can self publish or I can not publish at all. And that's fine too.
0: Well, I think we need to bounce forward a little bit and talk about, you have created a business helping people, get articles published in in some major publications. And I think one of the things that just strikes me about that is um, that kind of publication for a lot of people is kind of a holy grail. <laughs> and, and yet you're creating a, a routine <laughs> for it, mm-hmm. which I just find fascinating. I think the thing that I'm, I'm curious about is when did you discover that that could be a thing.
1: Oh yeah. So I did not know that this could be a thing. When I first started catch line, I thought I was going to do content marketing because I've done that for years and I was working with a coach. Um, and at one point during one of our sessions, I said, Oh, I'm so over marketing. And he was like, um, that might be a problem. And we ended up talking about, he's like, so tell me about a project that you worked on that you really loved. And several years ago, I worked with an environmental health and safety management consultant. And one of the things that we did is I I knew from a a friend in the editing world that EHS today was looking for writers. And so I brought it to my client, um, who by then I knew well enough that I could be really sassy. Not that I'm ever not terribly saucy but anyway (laughs) and and basically said you're doing this yeah um this is a great opportunity you're doing this because you would be foolish not to um and after going back and forth a few times um because that was that was our style he's a curmudgeon i'm a curmudgeon in training it was perfect um (laughs) you know he said okay well i guess if this can work in such a way that it actually fits into my workflow we're going to give this, we're going to give this a whirl. And then he also um, reached out to an association and they were also looking for writers. So I didn't know at the time what that could do for his company. I just knew that if he didn't do it, he'd be missing an opportunity. And, you know, so I told my coach about this whole thing and he's like, well, why don't you do that? And I was like, well, why don't I do what? um i i still didn't kind of get it but then it was like oh um so i i chatted with a few uh, editor friends of mine and did a little bit more digging you, the way of the magazine world has changed so much since i first got into it oh yeah that this is a possibility it's no longer the holy grail it's yeah. so much easier to get you know, 15 years ago we weren't getting published in ink like, <laughs> they weren't going to look at us. They were like, yeah, you're nuts. Um, you know, today. Absolutely. If you have an idea and you can put it together well, and you're offering value to their readers, these publications, you know, publications have always been advertising revenue driven. Yeah. So it, you know, when the advertising world, when advertising moved online, why would I bother buying a $10,000 one page ad on the back of your fancy glossy when ten thousand dollars in digital advertising is gonna go a whole lot further. Oh yeah. And a bunch of magazines, several magazines that I used to write for don't exist anymore because the magazine world was very slow to clock that this internet thing was gonna stick around. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> so now you have these publications will will take ink because it's well known. Um, but it's true of pretty much all of them. They have they have a huge extraordinary need for content Yeah. Um, because advertising online advertising is driven by traffic traffic is driven by search engine optimization that's driven by content you need yeah. fresh content all the time they could not possibly stay a going concern a profitable business if they had to pay their staff writers and they're freelancers for every piece of content that they needed in order to get the advertising revenue. So they have a huge need for content that that they cannot meet. Then you have all of these experts, you know, consultants, business coaches, executives who know their stuff and would love to be affiliated with that brand. Well, if they can start writing copy, writing content and articles and sharing their, ideas and their wisdom with Inc's audience. That's a win-win it's a win for the publication because they're getting their content needs met. It's a win for the expert because they're getting more visibility and it's a win for the reader because now I get to read both the things that are more profiles and interviews where a reporter or writer has interviewed other folks. So it's coming through their filter and I get to get things directly from coaches and consultants and other experts. So it's, yeah. So it's one of those things that it's now possible to do and it's not, it's, it's no longer a one way street. So like one of the things I constantly am saying to clients is like, don't, don't fall over yourself too much for these guys. They need you. Yeah. Like, yes, you want to be affiliated with them, but they also need you. They need, your content. And if you have something valuable to share with their readers, that just benefits everybody.
0: Well, there are so many things that I have going on in my head right now. Um, kind of at the top of the list is that, I mean, you're talking about a completely different landscape than even like five years ago, um, for magazine publications in particular, but you also have professional journals and newspapers and, and other types of publication. Um, and all of them, have the same quandary that you've just described, where they all yeah. need—they need fresh content, they need relevant content, they need—they need you know the the stuff that's going to keep them in front of people. Yeah, and that is something that you know I think a lot of people take for granted. Now, the other thing that I I wonder is, I'm sure that there's been a shift away from publications having uh, staff writers, and that a lot of that has opened up opportunities for freelance writers to fill in some of the gap is that something that you're seeing
1: yeah that has that has with different publications that has always been true to different degrees um making your living as a freelance writer is hard yeah i tried i did not like it (laughs) because you because it's so much about the pitch it's much more pitch than actually getting to do the part that I love which is the writing piece yeah um and the the fees have just have just dropped uh so it used to be you know you could uh, when I first started reliably I was getting a buck 50 a word yeah for anything I wrote you're lucky to get a quarter yeah so it's it's just it's it's hard and it, you know, so, but writing is such an important part of everything. I mean, the entire hello, the world wide web, like that's a big place. The whole thing is writing, um, you know, or based on, on words. Yes, there's visuals and images, but
0: communication for sure. Right.
1: It's all communication. Um, you know, but even if it's something that is, you know, even for a podcast that's audio there's still words that are going to go with it um so everything it's something that's such a big piece now that i'm kind of going in a bunch of directions this is me starting to get on my soapbox about writers need to be valued um and extraordinary writers especially need to be valued because we have so many wonderful publications that come out and the person who often gets the short end of the stick is the writer. Yeah. So they will, you know, publications will pay the photographer before they pay the writer. Um, and I, I have, I have written, if anybody needs a demand letter, um, I have written so many demand letters to different publications that I used to write for because yeah. they wouldn't pay you on time. Um, and, that's terrible because if we lose some of these amazing writers, like Tana Coates, yeah. um, you know, he started in the journalism world making 10 cents a word. Yeah, Um, <laughs> you're not making a living on that. Nope. Um, you know, but if we lose some of the people who write for places like the Atlantic magazine, um, the New Yorker, the Paris review, like, that harms us as a culture as a society as a people and yeah so i know it was about okay they're hiring more freelancers that's true they're also paying them a lot less and then you have places like fiverr that are like we'll do almost anything and it's just five
0: bucks you know (laughs)
1: right (laughs) it's just like oh my god what do we do now so (laughs) you'll get your
0: five bucks worth i'm pretty sure
1: yes you will Uh um (laughs) not much more than that but knock your socks off
0: (laughs) well there there are a couple of other questions that came up as you were talking there and one of them is um for the person who's like the consultant or the coach or the professional person, um, and they've done some writing or they've had somebody do some writing for them. Um, where do you come in as far as helping them pitch to these publications?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways, but my, primarily what I, what I recently put together are a couple of programs that actually walk people through the whole entire process because oftentimes people come to me and they'll be like, I want to write for Harvard business review. I'm like, well, maybe you do, maybe you don't like, let's back it way up because anything that you do, any tactic that you choose to pursue, whether it's writing or something else, it's gotta be tied to your business goals. And if it's not, you're just wasting your time, which if you want to waste your time, cool. Um, Or if you want to do it to spite somebody else, knock your socks off, but let's (laughs) tie it to a business goal and figure out what your goals are. So one of the first things I do is really help folks get clear about what are your business goals. And then you use those goals as filters so that you can select the right publication. So for example, like one of the things that you get to do with your podcast is interview people that you connect with or find interesting and all of that good stuff. And that's part of the goal of the podcast. Well, if you wanna do that as a writer, that's a good thing to know in advance because some publications allow you to feature other people and some do not. Yeah. So knowing that lets you make sure, oh, I picked the right publication. Otherwise you end up in a publication and, and like entrepreneur does not let you profile other people. Right. Um, You know, you can quote a household name, depends on the household, but anyway, um, (laughs) but you can't profile somebody. So, but Inc does allow you to do that. So setting up those filters. So you're picking the right publication from the very get-go. You know, we also talk about like, how do you do a pitch? Um, As an editor, I've received a bunch of different pitches. I've also pitched publications as a freelance writer. So, you know, know what's gonna work and what's not gonna work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, because a lot of times people try to either be cute or clever or most of the lion's share of pitches, and I'm sure you get tons of these too as a podcast host, are things that you're like, Do you have any idea what this is about? Any idea at all? Have you yeah. ever have you ever like read the publication? Have you ever listened to the podcast? Chances like we can all tell, we can also tell as soon as somebody's is like, oh, Franklin, I love your podcast. And you're like, this person has <laughs> never listened to a single uh, episode, yeah. you know? So figuring out the pitch and, and getting very clear about that. And then it's also, how do you structure an article? Yeah. So what we learned in high school and college, throw it right on out the window. Um, this is yeah. a whole new world. We're writing for an online audience. It's a different style of writing. Um, it, you know, it, a lot of, a lot of folks like to kind of warm up the story. Yeah. So almost always you can chop the first three paragraphs of whatever you've written yeah. <laughs> and throw them away <laughs> because it's just, you know, friendly little musings, but like, for an online audience, especially a business audience, you need to get right into the point and just oh, yeah. jump in.
0: Don't even so, give them your name.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so it's all of those those types of things that we kind of work through. And and my goal really is to to there doesn't need to be, there's a lot of mystery around this. Every, you know, there's a lot of mystique around it. There doesn't need to be. So I can like my goal is to give people the tools so they've got them and then they can use them and that will improve. Yes, they're writing for these publications, but it also improves your writing for, you know, your own blog, your writing for emails. How many emails did you receive this week alone where you read it and you're like, what are they asking? Yeah. What, what, what is, what, I have no idea what they want um oh yeah (laughs) you know there's so much fluff and stuff that's in there that the more clear we can get with the writing so figuring out writing exercises is also a part of a part of what i do when i'm working with clients
0: now i think for anybody who's in any kind of professional business the the one of the hardest areas of marketing is getting in front of new eyes yeah and what you're offering here is a way for for people to get in front of thousands if not many more new eyes, mm-hmm. on a fairly regular basis, which I think is an an amazing uh, service. Yeah,
1: um, it's one of the benefits of writing for these publications is they already have an audience, so you yeah. don't have to you don't have to build your own. They like, don't care yes, about you have to platform. build your own In
0: fact, they may actually build a platform for you.
1: Hundred percent. That's the other. <laughs> that's like the big difference between like writing articles versus writing a book. Writing articles. They don't care if you have a platform. They care if you are an actual expert who should be listened to. They care if you actually have something to say and like have the receipts to back it up.
0: Very good. Well, Erica, one of the things that you, that you offer is a monthly Q and a call for people who are interested in pitching to these publications, um, to get their articles placed. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how to access that call?
1: Yeah, so um, on my website, there's, uh, if you go to catchlinecommunications.com, under the events page, it's called Pitched to Published. So, or it's catchlinecommunications.com backslash P2P. Um, And that's where people can register to come to the event. I, I hold it every month. It's the second Wednesday of each month. And it always starts with a little bit of training. And then I just open the floor to questions and do my level best to answer them
0: wow that sounds so great so if you are interested at all in anything that erica has just said about pitching your articles to major publications and either even not major publications uh, why don't you sign up for one of those uh, q a sessions there Um, anything that you want to leave people with now that we're uh, approaching the end of our time
1: yeah you know i think some of this is In my, okay. So this is my bias showing because I am a writer at heart and I filter everything I do. I, I understand through writing, but the more you can write and intentionally write, it helps in every aspect of your business. And it really helps you think more deeply and thinking more deeply then makes you a better speaker, a better consultant, a better, whatever it is that you do, because you understand it better. So if all you do is do one 10 minute free writing exercise, <laughs> that alone would would just, you know, it's just another way to push yourself and to start really thinking about the things that matter to you and clarifying your ideas so that you can communicate those ideas more clearly to other people. And that's the big difference between writing and speaking. speaking You can kind of fudge it a little bit. Like we have body language. We have, you know, we have a a certain amount of mutual understanding. We can do all of that. Writing doesn't allow for that. So you have to, you know, there's no tone of voice. So I can't say something, you know, written Franklin Taggart could be exclamation point, but it's (laughs) Franklin Taggart is a very different thing than Franklin Taggart. Like, (laughs) And you can't convey that in writing without more. So that's, I don't know, that's, that's my little, I guess, that's what I would leave folks with is dive into, dive into that kind of thing. And, um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with folks there and anybody who wants to talk about writing ever at any point in time. Yeah. I love talking about writing
0: (laughs) is your people
1: right whether it's right. for publication or whether it's the novel that's sitting in your drawer
0: well Erica this has been a fantastic conversation and I'm sorry to say that it's coming to an end but it uh, I, I want to put an ellipsis on the end of it instead of a period and say <laughs> let's uh, to be continued uh, and see where we can go again uh, sometime in the near future um I, I appreciate all that. that you've said uh, it's just been <laughs> wonderful um so thank you. Um, again, my guest this, uh, this episode has been Erica Holthausen from uh, catchlinecommunications.com um, and be sure to check out the Q&A. Anything else you wanna say in closing?
1: No, just thank you so much. This was so fun to talk about just like, I don't know, doing all of the fun things that we get to do in our own company.
0: It has been wonderful. We've got a lot more to talk about Erica, but let's find another time. We do. Excellent. (laughs) Thanks for listening to your own best company. If you enjoyed the show, would you do me a favor and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcasts, or your favorite podcast host? If you really love it, leave me a review or share it with your circles. If you feel like your career is reaching a dead end or you're feeling a deep sense of dissatisfaction in your work right now, I help people discover their gifts and then find or create new opportunities that are the best fit for their talent, experience, and lifestyle. Email me at coaching at franklintaggart.com for more information. I also help people start, finish, and launch creative projects, and I offer an ongoing marketing mastermind for solopreneurs and freelancers. More information on these programs and services can be found at franklintaggart.com. Thanks again for spending this time with me.